In the spirit of Thanksgiving, I'm thankful for a few things this morning. Uh, the first thing I'm thankful for is the opportunity to, uh, to preach here at Journey. So thank you, Tim. I'm really looking forward and have been looking forward to this. Uh, and I'm also thankful that he asked me to do the first uh, sermon in the Christmas series because uh, if you're anything like me, um, and, and you're totally going to think that I'm a Scrooge for saying this, but uh, I get kind of weary of the Christmas season because we've drug it out so long, right? <laughs> um, that it's, it's, you know, now it's a five to six week ordeal, and I'm kind of one of those people who wants to wait until after Thanksgiving to see Christmas lights and sing Christmas songs. So um, the, the, the preset has not been on 96.5 uh, in my car. I don't know, maybe, maybe some of you are thrilled at that, but... Um, some of you already are thinking I'm going off on a heretical route here. I'm not. So um, Christmas is great. Um, <clears throat> it's a, it's a, a time of year where we get to celebrate a really familiar story. Um, uh, uh, as uh, Brian alluded to about how our Savior came into the world, right? And part of this, uh, this familiar story is that there's a lot of elements to it, okay? Uh, there is um, the, the virgin birth. There's uh, this, this stepfather, Joseph, right? Um, there's the Magi, you know, we, we see all these elements on display in the nativity scene, right? Um, today we're going we're gonna to be in Matthew chapter 1 and we're going to focus on Joseph's perspective, right? Through the Gospels, God is, is, is unraveling his story. Actually, through the entirety of Scripture, God is unraveling his story. But we see the climax uh, of God's story and his salvation for humanity uh, in, in the Gospels, right? In, in, in the incarnation of Christ into flesh. And... This guy Joseph, he, uh, I feel like he gets a bad rap. You know, we, uh, we, our icebreaker question at the beginning was, what's something recently that you've been, that you were unprepared for, right? Uh, for me, I had one job this morning, and that was to unlock the FRC, and I failed at that job. There were people <laughs> waiting outside because I was downstairs making coffee. Of course, once they got in, they were caffeinated, they were good to go, um, but they were locked out in the cold. So I was very unprepared for that this morning, and I need to apologize to Tommy um, later. Um, but hopefully there's some grace there because I'm a new guy. But um, that grace will probably uh, run its course here in the future. But we'll see. Um, anyways, this guy Joseph, he gets a bad rap because from, from what we uh, perceive of Joseph when we think about this familiar story is a guy who is traveling on a donkey with his pregnant wife and has no place for them to stay. Right? You're thinking, this guy... <laughs> Uh, is, is, is the worst kind of dad. You know, he, um, they're, they're left in the cold, right? They're locked out, just like those people at FRC this morning. So I was just trying to be like Joseph. Um, but no, he, um, <clears throat> what I believe from what we're going to see in the text today is that Joseph was a man who God was preparing his heart, right? And when we think about what it means to prepare for a child coming into the world, I've never had that experience from a fatherly perspective, but I've had it from a sibling perspective. Um, my family's sitting right over here, and uh, as you can tell, there's a big age gap between me and my siblings. And so I remember very vividly uh, nine, when, when I was nine years old, uh, getting the news that I was going to get a brother, right? It was so exciting because I was the only child for so long, and, uh, you know, Dad, I'm going to kind of, it's going to sound like I'm throwing you under the bus here, but I promise I'm not. But... I was the kid in the front yard who had to throw the ball to himself and hit it, you know. I mean, he couldn't be there all the time. Of course, you know, he, he did really great and coached all my teams and um, was a super supportive dad in that way and, and taught me everything I know. Um, but uh, there, there's just, there's just a, a place that a sibling has in your life that you can't replace. And so um, I'm sorry to any only child I might have offended in here. Um, you were special too. But um, 
I remember when my little brother came and, and we found out that, uh, and we were starting to do some preparation for, for him, and my parents were preparing this nursery in our house, and I was like, wait a minute, it's like, I got bunk beds in my room, like, he can stay on the bottom bunk, I'll take the, po- the top bunk, you know, and I was expecting him to, like, right when he was born, to be ready to go out and throw the ball in the yard with me, you know, like, it was, it was going to be great to have a, a, a brother, and so when he got there and he was this helpless, independent baby, I was like, this isn't what I signed up for. I was ready for a brother that could walk, that could throw, that could talk and do all those things. Um, but, but he came into this world very dependent, right? He came into the world um, needing someone to, to nurture him and care for him. And in the same way, when, when God incarnated in the flesh, he needed a family to take care of him, right? He needed a mother and a father who's going to raise him uh, to, to honor his heavenly father, right? Who's going to... Um, instruct him in the ways he need to be, uh, to teach him how to be a carpenter. That's what Joseph did. Um, so, Dad, I guess your trade is, is baseball. So, um, he taught me a lot of other things too. But uh, for, for Joseph, uh, you know, he, he taught Joseph, he taught uh, Jesus the, the trade of carpentry and um, and fathered him right. And so, this is a this is a big responsibility uh, for for a guy to be a, a stepfather of the Son of God, right? So, without further ado, let's go into the text uh, and, and and look at this. Uh, this perspective of Joseph in, in, in God's story. Now, I will say this too to kind of set some further context. Uh, Matthew, in, in earlier in chapter 1, had laid out the genealogy, right? Connecting Joseph all the way back to the line of Abraham. And, and that has implications that we're going to kind of explore a little bit later. But, uh, as I, I might have mentioned already, the, the Luke perspective uh, gives it from Mary's angle. Uh, the Matthew uh, account gives it from Joseph's perspective. So we'll keep that in mind as we read too. <clears throat> but it says this. We'll go ahead and read through the whole passage in verse 18 through 25. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being... Uh, I'm sorry, I was reading out of the ESV. Let me, let me pick up an NIV. Uh, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. So I guess to to, to lay the framework of where we're going to go with this message today, we have one central point, right? And that's that God weaves our lives into his story. You heard me say that the, the, the Gospels are, are God's story, right? Um, but, but Joseph's life is integral in that story. Joseph's life is, is weaved into the fabric of time for the redemption of humanity. Because Jesus was dependent and needed someone to take care of him, right? And so, God loves us enough to include us in his redemptive history, right? God could do all of this by himself without any of our help. But he loves us so much that he chooses to include us. That's profound, right? That God weaves our lives into his story. So in, in verse 19, 
this is what it, what it says about, about Joseph. Um, if you could roll verse 19 back up there. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So when I first read this passage, there was a, um, a, a, a book out of the prophecy uh, of Micah, or a, a verse out of the, the, the book of Micah. Um, that's, it's a very familiar verse. Verse uh, 8 in chapter 6, it says, What does the Lord require of you but to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? We see that taking root in Joseph's life. We see his godly character on display. That what the Lord requires of us, Joseph embodied. He embodied God, God's character. He was a guy who says he's faithful to the law, right? So he's driven by principle of the law, but yet he loved mercy. So he was in step with the spirit of the law, right? And so in, in this, in this sub-point, we, we see in demonstrating God's character, we see a divine uh, definition of justice, right? In that, you know, if, if we carry things out to the full extent of the law, we might, we might find ourselves being more like the Pharisees than like God's character, right? In, in Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is having a discussion with the Pharisees, and um, they're just drilling in with questions. If you, if you, uh, if you, you know, are familiar with, with how the interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees went, uh, there was very much uh, tension there, right? They, didn't, they, didn't, they were kind of oil and vinegar uh, because... Uh, Jesus represented God's character and the Pharisees represented carrying things out to the full extent of the law. And so much so that they were tithing their spice rack at home, basically. Jesus said, you tithe your dill, your mint, and your cumin, um, but you don't understand the heart of the law. You don't, you don't know what it means to truly serve justice and, and what real righteousness is. It starts from a transformed heart, not from strict observance of checking boxes, Right? And so what we see in, 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 in Joseph is that he's a guy who understands the heart of the law and he understands that, that he has to demonstrate God's character, right? Not just to contort the law to fit his, what, what he in his mind determines is right, right? He, he's, he's, he's flexible, not in that, that, that truth is subjective, truth is, is, is objective, um, but we have to be sensitive uh, to, to how God is leading us to, to act justly to love mercy and to walk humbly, right? Um, and we see that, this tension of principle versus mercy. And, and, and here's what Joseph is bound to, okay? Um, he, he's bound to the Mosaic law that what man is brought together, let, or what God has brought together, let man not separate, okay? So there's no such thing as divorce, right? But however, Jesus taught and he said, you know, there, there are some outs, there are some biblical outs to marriage. And unfaithfulness is one of those. And from, from Joseph's perspective at this point, before his revelation from the Holy Spirit, he doesn't know that, that Mary uh, has been faithful to him and yet she's still pregnant. That's the only time in human history that's ever happened, by the way. <laughs> There's only two alternatives there. Okay? <laughs> Either he did it or someone else did. So he's battling the perception of someone else did this. And then, when we, we're going to look at this later, he's battling the perception of everybody else, of Joseph, you did this. Even well into Jesus' ministry, they're like, this is Jesus from Nazareth. You know, this, is, this is Joseph's son. Don't listen to him. He's not the son of God. He's still battling perception at that point, which I don't want to give away too much at once. We're going to get to that later. Um, 
But in, in other words, um, demonstrating God's character, this isn't a, this isn't a works-based idea. This isn't saying that, that God used him because he saw him as uh, someone who is worthy, more worthy than someone else, or that there's any way that we could uh, obtain a level of righteousness that uh, w- would, would make us worthy, right? In Isaiah 6, it says, all of us on our best day were like filthy rags, right? It's by God's grace and His mercy that He chooses to use us, and His love, right? Um, and so... Uh, also, what, what we see in this, uh, another principle embedded in this, is that God is going to carry out His will with us or in spite of us. Okay? Jesus still was going to be born into the world. Now, did God desire Him to be with a single mother and, and to, to, if you know, Joseph had abandoned them? I don't think so. I think God knew what, how Joseph was going to respond because He knew the content of His heart. He knew that Joseph was a guy who was going to demonstrate His character. And embrace this child. But at the same time, had Joseph chosen not to, God's going to carry out His will with us or in spite of us. And that's the same, the same people who, for, for the people biblically who practice unrighteousness. A guy like Pharaoh. God was going to set the people of Egypt free regardless of how Pharaoh responded, right? God worked in spite of his efforts. But we see here, Joseph gets the, the blessing of, being, of cooperating in God's will for his life. More than that, he gets to cooperate in, the, in God's will for human history. At the only time that a virgin conceived, the Son of God, who was not tainted by the line of Adam, who would save his people from their sins in verse 21. We're going to keep coming back to that verse because it's all feeding into that. The God would choose to use Joseph's marriage, right? But we have a we have a full view perspective. Joseph does not. Okay, he's in a lot of turmoil right now. Actually, in, in verse twenty, it said, um, "We can pull that scripture back on the screen." But after he considered these things, we can kind of read into the scripture there and say, "Joseph is 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 tossing and turning at night." Right? I love Mary. I know her not to be this way. I don't think that she would betray me like this. It's not. It, it didn't seem like it was in her character to do something like this. But he's 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 chewing on it. He's he's tossing and turning, right? Um, and 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 here's where uh, the Lord in His grace fills the gaps. It says, "And an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David.'" Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So the next point is God weaves our lives into his story when we listen to his voice. Here, God sends a messenger. That's what the word angel means, is a messenger. He sends a messenger to communicate to Joseph, Hey, 
all these things that you perceive to be happening, it's not how it appears. Something miraculous has taken place. Right? And he communicates to him through a dream. Which is interesting when we contrast it on its face with the Luke passage because the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary when she was awake. It's much more clear. Right? <laughs> For Joseph, it's like, you know, he could have woken up and scratched his head and been like, I ate some really funky hummus yesterday. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just going to kind of dismiss that. Because that, that's never happened before. Never will it happen again. And um, I don't think I'm that extraordinary of a guy. He would sell himself short, maybe. Fear would, would, would creep in and he would say, you know, I don't think that's I don't think that's real. I'm just I'm I'm gonna dismiss it. But he listened to God's voice. He responded. And and, and what's so what's so amazing about it is that and, and this is a promise that we can depend on God to communicate to us when we're in when is when we are seeking his will. He's not going to leave us in the dark, right? Now, he, he might just give us the, the view of what's, what's right in front of us or maybe what's just around one corner. He's not going to give us the full picture all at once. I don't think we would know how to handle that anyways, right? I mean, if, you, if you think uh, in retrospect or, you know, uh, hindsight's twenty twenty, it's like, and you think about where you are today, it's like, I wouldn't have believed that, right? Um, so, so God kind of gives us as much as we can handle at once. Um, but, but he communicates to him uh, through this dream, and Joseph listens to the Lord's voice. And, and, and that's not to say that in every instance, when you're seeking to, to do the Lord's will, that He's going to communicate to you through a dream. Probably not going to happen. If we polled the audience, there's probably only maybe a handful, if not one or two people in the room who've said, yeah, God has definitively spoken to me through a dream before. Right? But 100% of the people in this room have heard from God, have heard God's voice from His Word. And we know that is true in this story too, because it says, Joseph, son of David. Alright? He's connected Joseph's identity to the, the, the promise in Scripture that the, the Messiah is going to come out of the house of David. It's going to come from the line of David. And so, as a good Torah-abiding man, Joseph is going to say, that's me. I'm the... I, I'm, 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 I have a part in this story. God has weaved me into the framework of redemptive history. Now, he probably didn't wake up and just realize that, but it probably hit him in time, you know, maybe when Jesus was preaching in the temple. He's like, oh, that makes sense, you know? Um, <laughs> but uh, Joseph, uh, he, he knew God's word. It said he was a righteous man by, according to the law. And so he heard God's voice speaking to him through Scripture. Right? And, and the revelation that God gives him only aids the understanding that's there in Scripture already. Right? It's not some uh, extra revelation um, that uh, is, is outside of His Word. It's all there. God's made it really clear and, and, and spelled it all out. And, and the same applies for us. So when we're seeking to do God's will, we can rely on Scripture to go there, to listen to His voice, to hear Him speak to us every day. Okay? And then I think building off of that, and, and, and this point kind of follows home with that, is that God weaves our lives into His story when we follow through in obedience. What we hear uh, of Joseph uh, in, in this passage is that he immediately woke up and did it. 
You know? He didn't have a scratch in his head moment in doubt. He woke up and he did it, right? That's not to say that everybody in this room, you know, when, when, when you know that the Lord is calling you to do something and you don't immediately respond, it doesn't mean there's not grace for you to, to get it right later. Because um, I know that, that my story is ridden with moments where I've been resistant. Maybe for a lot of you too, yeah. But it says that Joseph immediately got up and he obeyed what the, what the angel told him to do. And I thought this was so poignant here uh, when it says, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Do not fear. What does he have to be afraid of? I think that, that in a lot of ways, fear is the antithesis of love. And a lot of people say that, that hate is the, is the antithesis of love. Maybe, but I think, that, I think fear might be a, a more accurate um, antithesis of love, right? Because it says that God's perfect love casts out fear. We know that from Scripture. And here we see that obedience is contrasted against fear. And we see that play out in the garden. Because this, this story is informing us about the gospel. That the moment that, that Adam and Eve decided to disobey God, they stopped fearing Him and they started fearing everything else. Who can relate to that? Times when, when, we stop, when, we, when we distort a right fear of the Lord in our life, we start becoming afraid of everything else around us. We're scared of our own shadow, right? Fear and obedience are working uh, is forces against each other in this story. We see um, a struggle also of false perception versus true reality. False perception in the sense that um, if Joseph didn't believe what the angel was telling him, if, if um, Joseph uh, you know, chose to believe that, uh, that, that Mary had cheated on him, uh, then, then he wouldn't be in true reality because that's not what happened. God was inviting him into true reality to reveal it to him, to show it to him. And in addition to that, his, his, uh, as we said earlier, that his, his struggle against false perception is also towards the people who are going to look at him judgmentally. Right? Namely the naysayers around him who were blind to the fact that Christ was coming into the world, who were blind to the fact uh, that it was prophesied in Isaiah, that the virgin would conceive, right? But Joseph had his eyes open to that. He was, he was ready for it. Um, and, and, and this true reality that, that God is trying to call him into, that is, is beckoning to him, is that he's the son of David. He's the line through which God is going to bring salvation into the world so that Jesus could save people from their sins. I think that living in fear leads us to take our out. I think if, if, if Joseph chose to live in fear, he could have said, you know what? I have an out in this situation. I can divorce her. Silently. He's going to do it mercifully. You know, a lot of people say, well, you know, Joseph could have had her stoned to death. No, the, the, the Roman occupation, the, the, the Romans wouldn't allow the Jews to... Um, wouldn't allow the, the Jews to uh, carry out an execution. Uh, we, we see that in, the, in the, the story of Jesus, right? He had to go to Pontius Pilate, and they had to get him to, uh, 
uh, to basically sign off on the crucifixion, right? And so um, he couldn't have had Mary Stone, but he could have had a, he could have had her very publicly humiliated, right? Could have written her off. Could have taken his out from the situation and said, "This is way too hard for me. I'm not. No, I don't believe you, and I don't believe what the Lord's telling me through this dream." I think fear also um, it, it leads us to manipulate and control the circumstances. If, if you respond with fear to circumstances in your life, try to manipulate them, right? Try to stack the odds in your favor. You try to, um, you resort to a place of deception. You resort to um, a, a place of not living in true reality. Of what God has revealed to us. Of what God is calling us to do. Of uh, a story that He's trying to weave with our lives. Thankfully, Joseph chose the life of obedience. And a life of obedience leads us to a life of worship. He took a risk. He certainly took a risk. He went out on a limb, right? He forsook the natural perception and embrace the idea that God worked in a very unexpected way. How does, how, does, how does that resonate with our lives? How can we say that, wow, God is working in an unexpected way that I don't see right now, but I'm going to trust according to His promise, according to His word, He's going to make good on it, Right? We have so many passages that we can we could cling to in Scripture to say that God's going to preserve those that He loves. He's going to, His voice is going to cry out to, um, or maybe whisper, or maybe be revealed in a dream, or maybe jump out off a page to inform us on what we should do and how we should act and encounter a world that deeply needs His Son. Right? Why does God do this? Why does God want to weave our lives into His story? What's so cool about the story about Joseph is that he's a really relatable guy. He's somebody that we could reach out and touch in Scripture. You know, sometimes when we talk about following the example of Jesus, it's like, well, like Jesus was perfect. <laughs> I mess up all the time, you know. But Joseph is a guy we can kind of reach out and touch in Scripture. He's a guy we can relate to. He's a guy we connect with. And here's what we have in common with him. God has entrusted us to carry his son to the world. We've been given Jesus too. In the same way that that he and Mary were physically asked to to nurture Jesus and um, to raise him up, in a spiritual sense, Christ has been birthed in our heart. He's with us every step of the way. He's walking with us. But we have this responsibility to, um, to take His message into the world, right? To tell about what happened. And so as we continue in this Christmas series, I want you to know that this message is yours. That message is mine. As Brian said at the beginning, Christ is coming. 
Christ has already come and He's coming again. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank You for Your Word. For the testimony of a guy like Joseph. God, that in Your grace and Your love and in Your mercy, that You would choose to use a righteous man who's ordinary by the world's standards. God, you want to use us too. By demonstrating your character, by listening to your voice, by following through in obedience, God, you want to weave your story into our lives. We get to be partakers of the divine nature, as Scripture says. We get to be agents of redemption. And so today I pray that as we extract applications from this text, God, you would lead us to be Christ to a dying and broken world who's in deep need of a Savior. God, we thank you for saving us. What the birth of Christ meant to us and still means that we get to to awake into a true reality instead of a false perception. Guys, I I pray as as, as we as a room respond to this, God, that um, that you would open hearts and fill them with Christ. I pray for Brian as as he leads us in worship. I ask that, that we would respond to you. Jesus name,